Hi. So I announced all our story, but we are doing geriatrics today. We are excited to talk about it because, you know, it's been more important than ever since COVID struck. Um, a lot of our grandparents, we're not with them right now and we're all missing them. Also because it's just more like relevant in general because people are living to be much older, which is great, but there's a lot less support for those elders. It's crazy because in the 19th century, like the life expectancies for all countries didn't exceed 40 years. And then in 1950, the average life expectancy in North America was 68 years. In 2015, life expectancy grew to 82 years and expected to continue on this trajectory. Yeah, it's really, really cool that expectancy has increased so much within the past hundred years, essentially, because I'm sure for a really, really long time, like our life expectancy was like a consistent like 38 years or something <laughs> before like the 1900s. I just want to you're listening to this after we're doing this um welcome to our podcast uh we're doing this live on ig so this will be uploaded onto igtv after we finish this as well as it will be uploaded onto our you know our regular channels on spotify and apple Podcasts. so if this is your first time joining us welcome and then if you're coming back thank you for coming back once again we are trying to actively improve our podcasting so that you have a better experience every single time so as adrian said we're today we're talking about geriatrics So as we were talking about, like, life expectancy has really increased in the past hundred years or so because of modern medicine and, like, things like vaccines, right? Um, so that we have our kids and everyone protected from diseases that people easily died from. Yeah, and I mean, they seem like bleak times, but, you know, with trying to get a vaccine, but all the vaccines that we've gotten as kids have, like, protected us from diseases that are just as lethal as this one. And so no wonder that life expectancy has increased so much. And, like, they stopped recommending really dumb things to people, like smoking for good health or, yeah. like, putting lead in everything, like paint. Asbestos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, the ceilings in Boise are still full of asbestos. Fun oh, that's fact. true. Yeah, as soon as you go into an old house... It's in Toronto, too. Like, you have to be careful. But luckily, we're, we're getting better as we go. So the point is, people aren't going into ger geriatrics careers as often. And by geriatric careers, we mean, like, um, people who work in assisted living, people who live in resident life. You know, just those kinds of careers are lagging behind all the others. And actually, there's, like, a huge demand for this. So, like, we'd love for more people to get into this and sort of help the community. But also because it's actually a pretty interesting career. People tend to think that um, geriatrics can't, isn't fast pace and prefer to treat conditions that want to be cured as opposed to chronic conditions but there are rewards to working in geriatrics yeah for sure like, even though geriatrics doesn't seem like the most exciting career i think we should all think about the things that our grandparents have done for us or just you know like older members of the community have really contributed to our livelihoods and as for medical students i know a lot of people like to specialize in things that are like kind of like related to geriatrics like neuro neurology or like things related to like like physical therapy bone health that are all like definitely related to the care of old people but it's very rare that people like actively try to work with old people i feel like yeah that's a really good point because um there's a lot of like interest in these careers and these are really interesting areas and what they don't realize is you can see like how these conditions work like in real time you can actually apply it but like also seniors are so important to us and if you think about our grandparents and all that they've done for us you know it, you can kind of build those kinds of relationships with um brand new people and that's also rewarding as well yeah, for sure. And, like, I think we should also, like, note that um, people care for their elders really differently between cultures. Um, yeah, like, according to the International Scholarly no Research, 
notices it found that like european americans are less pressured to care for their elders more than like asian african hispanic americans and the other ethnic groups viewed caring for their elders as like a cultural expectation other than a choice um so like i'm asian as you can tell um so uh my mom cared for my grandma so like her mom all the way up till she died even though my grandma had like severe dementia and like basically wasn't like quote-unquote a fun person to be around anymore and like my mom like did it with all her own money like no expectations she just cared for her mom until her death and my father he still like actively supports his parents like like monetarily and like we visit them very often so i think in asia with like this whole concept of filial piety that comes from like confucianism um at least in like china or taiwan where i'm from it's really weird to see people not take care of their parents like i think it's really normal for like people to be like yeah i'm living with like my elderly mom you know but like whereas in north america people like no i took my mom to the care home like she doesn't live with me or like wait still live with your parents that's super weird like no it's not actually really weird in asia to keep living with your parents i know some people who just like never left yeah it is it's it's definitely like a huge cultural difference like especially more in america people are tend to like they don't live with their parents as much like i'm mixed but i've had like a western upbringing pretty much my grandparents didn't take care of their parents and my parents didn't take care of their grandparents but it's actually more because like they're already kind of living on their own and they also kind of just like wanted to live their own active lifestyle my grandparents on my dad's side like they're more active than we are like they go golfing and then they like go travel to all sorts of different places so they don't live with us but it's definitely a cultural difference to think about because you know, it factors into how elders accept care because a lot of non-white older people like find it hard to like, go into geriatric care, like go into resident living because there's actually like a multitude of problems. One of them is a language barrier. Another one is like the cultural expectation of like, well, the kids will take care of us, but sometimes it gets difficult. But we should also just realize that geriatric care is not just limited to like hospitals and to medical facilities. Also um related to like our family life yeah for sure especially if like your elderly parent or like an elderly person in your family has like a really chronic condition that you know a regular person isn't trained to treat like families shouldn't be afraid of seeking like help from geriatric workers and like we had like someone come in like a, to help my grandma when she was like in the later stages of her dementia and i like it was really helpful because like none of us are trained in you know alzheimer's and dementia right so like even though, like, I have kind of, like, scientific knowledge on the disease itself, like, it doesn't translate into taking care of my grandma. Um, so I think that, like, we should really, like, encourage people to look into it because it could just be, like, someone you hire to come into your home um, to, like, support you or someone who, like, just drops by once a week to check in on you and update you on how to be caring for your parents or what whatnot. But, like, obviously, like, there's also, like, a monetary aspect to it because... I feel like a lot of, I, I don't know how expensive it is in the West, but like, I can't imagine it being too cheap to have someone come in and care for your elderly parents like that. So obviously, if you have the monetary ability to support something like this, like, I think it's a really good thing to consider. But obviously, if you don't have the monetary ability to do so, like caring for your parents by yourself is perfectly fine. And like, as long as you take them to the doctor so that you know they can get checked up and like in canada it's relatively free if you have like a referral to like a doctor or a specialist that actively is caring for your elderly parent uh, i know you're in the united states so that's not necessarily true but um, yeah, you gotta pay for everything yeah so like if you have the monetary capability or 
the necessary resources that should be good you know like take a look and like it's a good idea honestly like from personal experience like it really helped my family yeah there's actually like so many options now a lot of seniors don't consider it because they feel like they'll be shut off from everyone else or like they'll have to leave their house but now there's options we have someone come in or you have someone stay with you there's a lot to consider yeah for sure this brings us actually to our next segment where we're going to talk about discussing health conditions associated with aging because as we said like before as we get older everyone's body is deteriorating <laughs> in one way or another whether it's your brain or your physical capabilities it's not something that we can escape so we're just going to discuss a couple of health conditions associated with aging so that you know everyone gets a little more knowledge on the differences between aging or you know what happens when we age essentially so there's something called chronological aging, that's what we consider how many years we live. But also there's something called biological aging, which is a gradual deterioration of your health as you go on. Not to be dark, but like it's just something that happens over time. And so there's some means stuff like hormone changes, like genetics, even your diet are all factors of the aging process. Think about the biological level. It can be caused by like aggressive damage from oxidative stress, glycation, telomere shortening, side reactions, mutation, aggregation of proteins. All those nice things you were learning about in biology all, all start to work to work against you. Oh my gosh, telomere shortening. Shortening for <laughs> your first year of biology, like you're telling me you start shortening like after 25 so like you're actively aging starting from like your mid-20s like i am we haven't hit that yet but you know like it's pretty much in the future like i just turned 20 recently so you know same i'm like here it comes <laughs> oh, man. yeah yeah so um as adrian had said before like it's really important to differentiate between the chronological age of an individual and their biological age because you know someone could be like 65 but have like the biological ability of someone who's 50 or vice versa they could be 65 and have the biological ability of someone who's 80 or like on average you know by scientific averages um mm -hmm. or medical averages so you know like when treating someone i think what's important is like biological age but when you know like I don't know, respect in society or like buying things for someone then like maybe chronological age is more important yeah 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 definitely keep that in mind like some some elders aren't like i have better health than others so like don't am i automatically assume that like they need supports when they don't or but at the same time like don't assume that like they don't need supports when they do you know consider consider all those options like both the kinds of aging and, you know, I find myself thinking these times of exams that I'd just rather be an old lady and just retire, you know, take naps. You know, I wouldn't have to worry about medical school. What a good life that would be. But That yeah. sounds amazing. Like, imagine A, the senior discounts, B, like, sitting around lounging, like, next to a fire. I don't know what old people do these days. <laughs> but <laughs> we're all imagining these things that are so glamorous. I want to retire so bad. <laughs> I haven't even started working. <laughs> yeah. Mom, can I retire? Like, <laughs> I'm 20, so it's, I'm old enough. I don't know. I just want to knit sweaters and read books all day. But that's not what aging is like, unfortunately. I wish it was. You know, it comes with challenges. And even now, people aren't retiring as early as they used to. So even all these things we're talking about are about retiring, but a lot of elders aren't retiring, like especially baby boomers are waiting until they're older 
So now we have to find ways to take care of our aging population as they're still working. We become like more prone to disease and some of these issues that we face can arise including hearing loss, back and neck pain, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is COPD, diabetes, depression, and dementia. So as Adriana just mentioned, all these different health issues that elders can get, these are the most common ones, but you know, we're definitely not limited to those. There's a lot more severe ones and rare diseases that old people can get. Um, but these are the most common ones that we see and, you know, probably ones that you've seen with people around you. Mm -hmm. So in this segment today, we're going to be focusing on the two most common health issues that we see in elderly people, which are arthritis and Alzheimer's disease. As a side note, Alzheimer's is actually one of the most common neurodegenerative diseases that we see in elderly people or in general. Um, and this actually falls in line directly with our current infographic themes that we oh, are will be. or will be uploading soon, um, which yeah, is going to be neurodegenerative diseases. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, our, that's our like cool sneak peek. So yes. on a serious note, let's start talking about arthritis. So arthritis, in case you don't know, is swelling and tenderness of joints. And this joint pain and stiffness like, worsens with ages. And the most common types are osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. So there's two subcategories of arthritis, if y'all didn't know. I mean, I didn't know beforehand either. So osteoarthritis causes cartilage, you know, the hard slippery tissue that covers the end of your bones where they form a joint to break down. And rheumatoid arthritis is a disease where the immune system attacks the joints, beginning with the lining of the joints. So now as like the weather gets really chillier in the northern regions of Canada or just anywhere that, you know, gets winter essentially, um, like pain and arthritis patients actually worsens a lot because like as a, a study that was done a while back showed that a 10 degree drop in temperature could cause a noticeable difference in joint pain. You're in Florida, I'm in Taiwan, like the weather doesn't necessarily change that much, but I know for people who are living in areas that get really cold, it definitely does um, affect them quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And that's actually why like a lot of older people travel to warmer regions, especially here in Florida, like we call them snowbirds because they migrate like birds from the north to the south. And actually, that's what my grandparents would do. Actually, um, one side actually comes down to Destin quite often. You know, obviously not down, but hopefully soon we can get some nice warm weather. But it's not only the cold that can cause joint pain, there's also things like precipitation and humidity that have similar effects. Muscles and joints contract in colder temperatures, but also like drops in pressure during storms and bad weather. This causes increased pressure in joint, and this increased pressure leads to like expansion, and for that forces the tissues with nerve endings around the joints to expand. And that triggers like signals of discomfort and pain. So like that's kind of like how scientifically it happens. It's it's really kind of strange that like weather can affect a condition. Yeah, for sure. Like the physical, like I mean, on the surface effect that you can see in seniors is that they can often get really slow at like, walking, um, you know, movement-wise, and it can be really discouraging for seniors because they can be faced with a lot of things such as work disability, a decreased motivation for activity fitness, and, you know, since they can't perform day-to-day -day tasks like climbing stairs efficiently anymore, they could be faced with depression or just general discouragement from life in general. Yeah, but it's not all that bad. You know, you have to increase your physical activity, and that helps to decrease the pain, improve function, and delay disability for adults with arthritis. There's other interventions, like maintaining a healthy weight. It reduces the risk of knee osteoarthritis, but there's less pressure on the knees. And to protect your joints, you have to avoid activities that still have, like, too much pressure. So when we're talking about physical activity, it's, you know, light calm activities and there's also programs for seniors like water aerobics it also helps to prove like quality of life but it also has the joints oh like it's important to note like at least like 
I've seen a lot of people like invent things for people with like arthritis, like spoons. Like you know how people have with arthritis, sometimes they shake. Oh, yeah. And I saw this like ad for a spoon where like when your arm shakes, like the spoon stays like in the same place. Kind of like one of those like camera stabilizers. And so that when like old people eat, like they're able to get the spoon to their mouth despite the fact that their spoon like their hand is shaking. I think it's really cool because like people are inventing things to help elders continue to be able to do their day-to-day tasks because I feel like when someone isn't able to do that anymore, it kind of makes their life quote unquote I don't know how to say this, like lifeless or pointless in a sense, because people feel discouraged when they can't even do things to help sustain themselves. It definitely makes you feel helpless. Like I can imagine like moving doesn't seem like hard for us, but then when you when that privilege is taken away, it's quite hard. So it's very cool that we're making inventions to improve the quality of life. And that's also why we, you know, we should learn more about geriatrics so we can improve. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on to talking about the other one that we were going to cover in this segment, which is Alzheimer's disease. As I said before, like Alzheimer's is quite common, is the most common neurodegenerative disease. As I mentioned previously, my grandma did suffer from Alzheimer's, so I have personal experience seeing my grandma deteriorate over time because of it. And Alzheimer's is just so much different from arthritis because it's like an irreversible progressive brain disorder that slowly destroys memory and thinking skills and eventually the ability to carry out simplest tasks. Like if you have arthritis, like you could do things like that are preventative. Like there are medicines out there that can help you regrow cartilage, for example, or like you could take calcium, you know, to strengthen your bones or like at least give some life back into them. But, like, with Alzheimer's, like, there's nothing you can really do. Oh, want to mention what Beatrix is saying down in the comments. Um, she says that independence is a huge thing in elders, especially because they still want to be able to do things with the help of others. Yes, that is really important. Um, as I was talking about in the arthritis section before I moved on, um, independence is a huge, huge thing. And I find that when elders tend to not be able to do things anymore, they kind of, their mental health gets yeah, not everyone has the luxury of having like a supportive um, family and friends to help them. So that's why independence is important as well. For sure. So due to Alzheimer's, seniors can experience memory loss and it leads to them wandering and getting lost. It takes longer to, than normal to complete the routine tasks. Even in some cases it could cause like hallucinations, delusions and paranoia. So it's a really big deal. And also um, patients with severe Alzheimer's can't communicate and they become dependent on others, which is what we just mentioned. Yeah, and like over time, Alzheimer's has actually been a really huge public health issue. You know, naturally being a bigger issue for senior citizens is because, um, you know, we're suffering, at least the world itself is suffering from like an aging population because you know, more people are aging and less people are having kids in general. So then like this has kind of become like a more public issue and something like that everyone has to address. Um, and this is also part of why, like, geriatric workers are so essential to the healthcare system, because so many people are aging, and so little people want to work with aging people. <laughs> and we really have a big need for people to work in geriatrics. However, there's always hope for a better future, and because so much research is being done on Alzheimer's and dementia, like, I was reading this study the other day in my psych class that, like, episodic memory loss can be an indicator for Alzheimer's, so people can start interventions earlier. Episodic memory loss, if you don't know, is, like, when you have the inability to recall like autobiographical memories like so if someone's like tell me about a time you tripped and fell like you cannot recall a time or if you recall the time about you tripping and falling you can't remember any specifics about it so you know like there's so much research that's going into neurodegenerative diseases especially um alzheimer's so there's definitely hope for when you know we are 
really old and um our aging population as people really care about this issue like from like the scientific research point of view on how to have interventions and how to see the symptoms earlier but we need support you know from the geriatrics end of things you need people to help with senior yeah and like there's also ways to help ourselves there are fundraising events like the walk to end alzheimer's it's a fundraising walk to raise awareness and funding for alzheimer's research so we really en encourage you to get involved in these because they can help even a little bit always helps Ooh, ananya said that mm -hmm. she thinks that geriatric studies are uncommon because doctors are taught to help younger people first what I think about that is it's very true. Like, it actually has a lot to do with, like, cultural things. Some cultures prioritize older people first, and some prioritize younger people first. That could actually be more of, like, a Western and, like, Asian thing, as we were talking about again. That culture thing is a really good point that maybe we need to improve in that respect as well. Our next segment, just as a sneak peek, we're going to talk about myths and we're going to disprove these myths. Our next topic for the visuals to audio is neurodegenerative disorders. And so we're going to address neurodegenerative myths. Just to give a definition for neurodegenerative disorders, it involves the breakdown or degeneration of the nervous system. And the most common ones are Alzheimer's, which we just discussed, and Parkinson's disease. So I'm going to give you the first myth here. All right, and go ahead. There's no way to reduce the risk of getting Alzheimer's. Actually, that's not true. Even though we said before that, like, eventually it gets, you know, worse and worse and worse till you can't do anything about it anymore. Um, but being things like being physically active, socially active, challenging your brain, like doing puzzles, eating healthily, making conscious and safe choices or and managing your stress can actually reduce the risk of getting um, Alzheimer's. I mean, as young people right now, you know, we're going to school, we're actively challenging ourselves. This is really, really easy for us to do. But as we get older, we tend to do these things less, which is why um, elders or like older people are at a greater risk, apart from the fact that like, it is a disease that affects you know the the brain as you go <laughs> yeah i actually knew that part about like how um challenging your brain and being socially active can reduce the risk because my grandma talks about that a lot like ever since we were kids she's like a crossword fiend and a puzzle fiend so actively working your brain can help reduce the risk of alzheimer's because you know you're actively working and helping your brain move so that like actively use its neurons so that you know like you're less likely to develop plaques that cut the connections between neurons so moving on to our next myth is that neurodegenerative diseases only affect the elderly that's not true either so we hope we haven't like created some confusion here because most of our podcast has been about geriatrics but um not all neurodegenerative diseases affect elderly like multiple sclerosis, um, which is a neurodegenerative disease, affects young people as well. And so understanding these diseases aren't just important to geriatrics. And even though most people who have Parkinson's tend to be older, young people can get Parkinson's as well due to genetic differences. So there are two myths busted once. Yeah, actually, I didn't know you could get Parkinson's as like a younger person. But I do know there are a lot of different um, mental or like degenerative diseases that you can actually get as like someone in like your mid 30s early 40s which is quite young in comparison to like the people that we think of when it comes to like alzheimer's which are like old people like in their 80s essentially yeah um we actually talked about ms before as an invisible disability in our last episode and actually like that's actually harmful like if you it's harmful to assume that like only older people can get this disease because you know that means like someone with 
younger who has MS probably wouldn't know early on that they have it, so it might get worse really fast. And also that like they wouldn't be recognized as having a disability, which is goes back to like our last podcast where we said like you know more accommodations need to be made in order to help people with disabilities have a normal functioning life. Yeah, and to not make assumptions about people like that people might be faking the the disorder or or um, disability when they aren't. Like it's just no the range. And yeah, good point. Um, pointing out Nanya, like Michael J. Fox, um, had that, and that's um one of the figures who has MS that you probably know. Oh my gosh, I looked at Beatrix's comment. She said that her grandma claims that she doesn't have a neurodegenerative disease because she plays mahjong on the regular. And I just wanted to say that my grandma does the exact same thing. She like actively <laughs> invites people to her house to play mahjong so that she doesn't like her brain is still active. And I think that's hilarious. So that it's like kind of like. That someone else's grandma is doing that. Maybe it's a universal experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, universal mahjong experience. Yeah, it, it goes into the denial. But I'm glad. I'm glad your grandma was like liking just to play mahjong because that's nice. Let's move on to the next myth. The next myth that I wanted to cover was that um, exercise is unsafe for neurodegenerative diseases. Well, it's true that people with neurodegenerative neurodegenerative diseases should talk to their doctor and not try anything that's too intense. So it's like the one published in the periodical laboratory investigation have shown that exercise can improve brain function and it's related to enhanced cognition. And beyond that, we all know the benefits of exercise to mental health and strength and balance. And these can help all individuals, including those with neurodegenerative diseases. I've been trying to do this over quarantine. Like I've been trying to work out and I've been trying to go to like Zoom workout sessions that people have been hosting, but it has been so hard like it's just so different you know like going to a gym versus like lifting weights at home it's just it just feels different yeah i'm never actually gone i keep on saying i'll go like do you guys just like work out in front of each other that's what i'm most afraid of i don't want to be facing forward lifting weights in front of somebody oh i'm so scared um earlier i would do it with my sister like in the basement (laughs) but now I've just kind of like gone really stagnant because my sister is like going back has gone back to school like we're in Taiwan so it's like everything's open right so my sister's gone back to school so I'm just by myself at home sometimes with my parents and it feels really awkward to like try to do yoga in front of them or something (laughs) (laughs) yes good point Nanya like your input it is terrifying I mean we might have to do this for a little longer I'm glad things are open where you are but I'm down here in Florida and people are still partying and still making everybody sick so until the vaccine comes. I might have to try those Zoom workouts to keep myself in, in shape. But the problem is that, like, people who are anti-maskers are probably also anti-vaccine. So, like, it's not going to help. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> but at least if you have the vaccine, then, like, you're less likely yeah. to anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do just not want people out there to be able to get sick as well. Oh, dear. All right. Let's move on to our very last myth of today and of our podcast, which is that it is on Parkinson's disease. And it's that um, the myth is that Parkinson's only affects movement. I think most people know Parkinson's as the one that causes shaky movement. I was talking about with the spoon earlier. Um, It causes balance problems and stiffness, but there's actually a lot of other symptoms that are less well known that, um, you know, if you notice maybe in you or in people around you might be an indicator of Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also like symptoms like 
like impaired sense of smell, sleep disorders, cognitive symptoms, constipation, bladder symptoms, sweating, sexual dysfunction, fatigue, pain, light tingling, lightheadedness, anxiety, and depression. That's a lot of symptoms like that we don't really hear about. And there's quite a few problems. So be be mindful of these when you're like you're caring for someone or helping someone with Parkinson's. Yeah. Like I mean, like, most of these symptoms are kind of, like, general. Like, loss, impaired sense of smell, I immediately thought of COVID. So, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it gives you, like, flashbacks. Oh. Yeah, so, like, a lot of these are actually really common in a lot of different disorders. So, like, don't be like, oh, my gosh, I have cognitive symptoms. I have bladder issues. It must be Parkinson's. <laughs> like, not necessarily that. Um, but, like, if you do see some of these functions or see any anomalies in your body, like, please go get it checked out. Or, like, you know, have a routine checkout like check up each year like go to the doctors check for cancer check for any disorders that you may have like even though most of us who listen to this podcast most of us like watching right now are college age students it never hurts to check because um in regards to like things like cancer um one of my family friends like her son like recently got like stage four cancer and he's literally he just graduated from university so you know like if you consistently check then you're able to, you know, prevent these things from getting worse or, like, at least have a chance at fighting it early on. Yeah, definitely get those yearly checkups when you can. Even now, I know people are scared of going to the doctor, but now that they have virtual checkups, like, you know, just stay safe out there and take care of yourself. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you think there's an intrusive disability? I, okay, here's the thing, because... I think with most people with COVID, when you have symptoms, like your first thing to do is to go to one of those clinics or like, you know, to get one of those kits to get checked. Like, and I think most people's first thoughts when they have things like the loss of like impairment of smell is like, oh my gosh, I have COVID versus like, oh my gosh, I have Parkinson's disease. So then like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's way different. Yeah. So then like, I think maybe misdiagnosis may not be more common, but maybe like the usage of COVID tests might go up essentially because a lot of things overlap with COVID and people are more afraid of getting COVID than like, or like their mind automatically jumps to COVID because that's what we're talking about these days instead of like things like Parkinson's or like Alzheimer's. Maybe it's like less of misdiagnosis, more of paranoia of getting COVID, you know? And then like, if it's not COVID and they still have these symptoms, then if they're responsible humans, maybe they'll go see a doctor for it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like good to be vigilant, but sometimes you can be overvigilant. Like (laughs) I'm thinking of my mom right now. She's going to be embarrassed, but like, she had a sore throat, so we did have, like, some reason to think that she might have COVID, and we were all quarantining. But then, like, she ate some frozen blueberries, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, mom, how come your lips are so purple? And she was like, oh, it's because of the blueberries. But she was like, wait, well, it's because of COVID. And I'm like, mom, no, it's because you ate six cups of blueberries. You're fine. And she did end up being, like, um, she tested negative, so she was all right, thankfully. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> All right, so I think we're going to wrap this up. Thank you mm-hmm. to everyone who stayed this entire time, like Ananya, Beatrix, and Nikki. Thank you so much for staying this entire awesome. time. Even though a lot of people have come and gone, thank you for joining us throughout this yeah. um, live stream. <gasps> Saleha, I forgot about you. Thank you. How dare you forget Saleha? Oh, my, oh my gosh. Saleha is our, our wonderful editor. editor. Yes. Thank you so much, Saleha, for being here and for editing the podcast all the time going forward oh thank you Anaya. <laughs> we tried to make it interesting <laughs> thank you for staying with us for essentially 40 minutes and while i had phone overheating and internet issues 
Mm, so he has a question. Yeah. Shoot. Go ahead. How can we support our grandparents and the elderly during COVID? Okay, here's one very important thing, I feel like. First of all, when it's like holidays and Thanksgiving, how about avoid having huge family gatherings? Because you know, your grandparents are the most susceptible to COVID. And like a lot of us could be asymptomatic and we have no idea we have COVID. So like having large gatherings like Thanksgiving, I know a lot of people in the US did gather with their grandparents, even though they didn't want to um, over Thanksgiving. And like Christmas is coming up, like I would just generally avoid doing that. That's one way to support your grandparents. But another way to support your grandparents, especially if you can't see them and you're being safe, is that, you know, actively talk to them, FaceTime them, video call them. I know it's not the same, obviously, but having face-to-face -face contact or like an ability to see their grandchildren or interact with other people definitely is a way to help them feel better or like have their mental health be better. And also like, as we mentioned, the Alzheimer's segment, like, you know, if they have social like connections and like they move their brain like they're less likely to get a neurodegenerative disease so at the same time you're keeping them company and helping them prevent getting alzheimer's yeah and your grandparents like to see you call them yeah for sure yeah so thank you for coming everyone this is our third episode so i'm hoping we could at least do one before the semester ends or like right after the semester ends so stay tuned yeah. to our next episode it will either <laughs> okay. be in december or it will be next year in january <laughs> Real soon. Bye.